podcast this week, Emily Mortimer returns to the pod booth and tells us how she pursued her directorial debut with the BBC series The Pursuit of Love. Plus, the long-promised interview with Doug Lyman about his lockdown movie, Locked Down, finally arrives. And that's no lie, man. That's Doug True, man. <sighs> All that and the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that has never been more pleased to have been stabbed in the arm by a stranger. What a thoroughly wonderful experience. Ah, I can feel Bill Gates flowing through me already. So many poorly chosen words in that sentence. Anyway, hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the Empire Podcast, half-vaccinated Empire Podcast. And this week I am joined by... Three possibly vaccinated colleagues of such lethal cunning. Let's see where everyone where everyone breaks down on the uh, on the the vaccination chart. Geek Queen Helen O'Hara. Semi vaccinated. Semi vaccinated. <laughs> Take that. Suck it, COVID. I'm vaccinated <laughs> up to COVID's twelve, maybe thirteen, but not the whole nineteen. What about you? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not positive. That's how it works. I think that's um, how it works, Helen. Okay. I, I think currently I, it I have to the like. Nurse. You. <laughs> I explained it to the nurse. This that is how it works. That makes me feel so sick. Uh, I. I think it's more like my life force is is fifty percent in a in a battle against COVID. Toby Hooper's life force. What a film. What a film. Uh, we're also joined as ever, as contractual obligation has it, by our GBFN. Trying not to swear too much this week. Huh. James Dyer. Hello, Chris. Yeah, Hello, I, was, I was particularly pleased that they offered me a vaccine that had been to Oxford. So that was that was nice. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would I would tolerate nothing else. Yes, yes, it's wonderful, wonderful wow. thing. And in the fourth chair this week, in the revolving fourth chair, the best thing to emerge from Swindon since Steam Museum of the Great Western Railway. The youngest member of the team this week, so therefore I'm not sure where you are in terms of vaccination, Beth Webb. Tell us. Uh, well, actually, I'm getting my second one on Monday. You so motherfucker, I'm get a- out. Get out. <laughs> you jumper. The outrageous. smile upon Swindon. Uh, so, yeah, no. I mean, I say that the first one was horrendous. I don't know how you guys fared after jab number one. But, um, I mean, in the scheme of things, it's fine. But, yeah, second on Monday. Well, see, I spoke to you about this. And you were like, oh, my God, I felt terrible. I was like a death's door and all this sort of stuff. And I saw I blocked outside the whole weekend for illness. <laughs> I had my jab. Nothing. It was a massive anticlimax. Oh, you should be used to this. <laughs> <laughs> More the people around me are used to it. Yeah. But, um, I spent a yeah, day on the sofa just fine. to be safe. But I didn't yeah. ne- just, necessarily just, need to. Yeah. Like for the last 18 months, just to be <laughs> on the safe side. Yeah, just in a blanket surrounded by M&Ms, just waiting for it to hit you and then nothing. <laughs> sure, sure. It was because I was waiting for it to hit me. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I had shivery achy shivers for for about 12 hours and then it was like someone just flicked a switch for me and i presumably someone did flick a switch to control whatever is now inside me coursing through my veins and i'm was totally fine from that point on but but beth i'm, I'm intrigued your second jab yeah this is this is huge this is huge news it's huge news and i um and i don't know what or why 
it happened. I got a, an email from a GP and it was around the time, I think I've said this on the pilot, so I apologize for repetition. But Unbelievable. It was, I know, I'm so sorry. But um, it was around the time that guy got registered as uh, six centimeters tall. So his body mass index was off the mm. charts. So I'd assumed it was something along those lines. I'd been, you know, recorded as, as being something like 25, 26 stone. Called him up and they actually said, can you believe how many calls like this we've had today? And it just turned out that there was an influx in my in my neck of the woods and so i got to well, go they were down just like there. you're from swindon so your life expectancy is reasonably low <laughs> Therefore... you need all the help you can get come down and <laughs> yeah. get your bloody vaccine wow okay are you are you sure it was a gp and not just a random bloke <laughs> it was so a bloke on the street I, yeah, he opened up his no. coat and he had a selection of uh, vaccines he to choose from yeah yeah essentially yeah, i'm expecting immortal combat powers any day now wow Huge. Well, well done. Well done, Thank everybody. You. And uh, if, if you haven't uh, been vaccinated and you're listening to this and you're slightly on the fence about it, get off that fucking fence and Please. get yourself vaccinated, um, you know, so we can all go to the cinema together and, and kiss. <laughs> wow. You're a married man. Cinema Good Lord. <laughs> it really has been a while since you've been to a screening, isn't it? I just don't, I don't, know, what, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I, so I just, Not I just assume we're going to be... people is a good start, apart from Dribble into popcorn. Can we at least do that? No. <laughs> sure. Not oh, your own popcorn, certainly. All right. But okay. No. Oh, I'm so excited about going back to the cinema, guys. Oh, it is too. Thursday, the, I want to say, 6th of May. Yes, sure. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> when we're recording this, by the time you're listening to this, hopefully it'll be Friday. Uh, hopefully time the will stop stopped or reversed. 10 days. 10. Until ten cinema days, Austria. ten glorious days until we're back into the cinemas. And uh, in fact, our, our listener question is about return to the cinemas. So perhaps we'll leave this scintillating chat for later in the show. Because right now, speaking of scintillating chat, it is time to launch into the three-fact structure. It is back this week because we have three colleagues of such lethal cunning. If you don't know what it is, this is the incredible section in which my colleagues of such lethal cunning try and impress me with an obscure, unusual, or arcane movie fact, hope that I don't know it, and then I give a point to the winner. So, Helen, you never go first. I know. I always go last, and it's I not know. a climax. Like, it's just, you know, bleh. It's It's neither a climax, nor, like the last few episodes of Game of Thrones, an anticlimax. It is... And that works at two levels, folks, like The uh, Matrix uh, of Revolutions. Very, very wow. clever. Depends on your spelling anti there, doesn't it really? Anyway... Hell's Bells, you can go first. Yeah, I was trying to look for something, you know, thematic, like the, the fact that Spielberg was meant to cameo in the original Mortal Kombat movie, but I couldn't really was double he? check it. Yeah, he's a massive, massive game fan and was all set up to cameo. And then apparently there were scheduling conflicts. I think he was making Amistad at the time and um, <laughs> he wasn't able to do it. So they got a lookalike basically to play the director uh, in, in the scene where it would have been Spielberg. Um, but anyway, I couldn't actually you know Verify back that, that up yeah. yeah so um instead there's uh, something that a reader mentioned to me a little while ago which is the fact that charlie chaplin has to eat a boot on screen um at one point in the gold rush and obviously you know eating leather is not healthy or easy so no. they had several bo boots by some accounts 12 pairs of boots mm -hmm. made out of licorice from yes. pontefract in west yorkshire it took three days and 63 takes to get the shot that Chaplin himself wanted as director of the film. Um, and then he was rushed to hospital. No, the reason he was rushed to hospital <laughs> is also up for debate. He was, it was either, number one, insulin shock because he'd eaten so much licorice, which is 12 times as sweet as sugar. 
Oh my uh-huh. gosh. <laughs> the second reason, which I know is the one you'll prefer, Chris, is that it caused certain, you know, digestive problems for him and his co-star and they had oh to go God. to problem. Oh my God, he was Charlie had. Craplin. There you go. There. I'll just leave it to rush. you. There you go, you see? City shites. <laughs> the great shit tater. <laughs> I'm done. The shittle Trump. There you go. Anyway, so so there you go. And if you thought shitting in a bucket was limited to last week's podcast, you were mistaken. Oh, <laughs> uh, there was maybe too much shitting in a bucket conversation on last week's podcast. Um, there was even more that you cut out. Uh, yeah, I know. I cut out at least fifty percent of it, and there was still a, a lot left in. Oh the bucket was still half full. Yes, oh, no. um, or half empty, depending on your I point mean, of view. It's always half full when it's a bucket full of shit. It's always half full. Like there's no half empty there. Oh, I was really hoping to bring in a new audience this week, but uh, with some highbrow no, conversation. But that that's gone out the window. Um, a, a good fact, a good solid. I mean, it's all right. Yeah, it's I fine. enjoy that. I do. Helen is absolutely phoning it in right now. Uh, Jimbo, are you phoning it in right now? I did research. <laughs> First and foremost, I'm always phoning it in, literally and, you know, theoretically. But uh, that was a good fact. I liked the I liked licorice it. fact. I thought Sensory, that was excellent. I feel gross. already like I'm, you know, should just concede. I mean, I you just don't want to have a, give a fact, do you? <laughs> you? You said you had a fact last week and you didn't do last week, so you presumably have still got okay, this fact okay, in reserve. Okay, fair enough, fair enough, but... Know that you've brought this on yourself. Okay? It's, you still are not allowed to filibuster. <laughs> so today I want to talk about Apollo 13. Not so much the oh, Ron Howard movie. I know this story. More, this is what go. I was going to do last week. <laughs> <laughs> I have stolen your facts. <laughs> this is the one I was... Yeah, but I think... Okay, let's see yeah. if you get it right, though. Is this where he ate a spaceship made of licorice? It is, indeed. That's exactly what the story is. Yes, he did eat a spaceship made of licorice, and that is what happened. That's not what happened. That's not what happened. As you recall from either watching the film or, you know, being old, the Apollo 13 mission was the seventh crewed mission in the uh, Apollo space, you know, thing. And the third meant to land on the moon. Uh, However, disaster struck when a routine stir of an oxygen tank ignited some damaged wire insulation inside it, causing an explosion that vented the contents of the service module's oxygen tanks into space. Mm -hmm. And having no oxygen when you're in space is generally, you know, something of a problem. Mm -hmm. So, but before all that, the failure of said oxygen tank had led to an emergency abort of the planned moon landing. And this abort was made possible saving the lives of the astronauts by an obscure piece of tech called the Abort Guidance System, which was a backup computer that offered the ability to kind of abort the mission if the lunar module's primary guidance system failed during descent. But, and you'll be shocked to hear this, none of that is my fact. Because, you see, the Abort Guidance System was created by an engineer called Judith Love Cohen, and her Abort Guidance System uh, was what initially saved the astronauts' lives. Now, she was a dedicated engineer, old Judith was, so much so that she insisted on working even on the day that she gave birth, she actually took a printout of an engineering problem with her to the hospital, oh my continued God. working on it while she was going into labour, no, called didn't. her boss between contractions to tell him she had solved the problem, and then promptly gave birth to one half of Tenacious D in the form of a very small Jack Black. And that is my fact. Oh, fucking hell. Now, you see, th- there's a reason I wasn't going to do this. And you know what the reason is, don't you? 
It's because James has slightly elided two different things there, which is that it was not the problem involved in Apollo 13 no, yeah, that she was solving when she gave birth. It no. was like a year later than that. Yeah. Because if it had been the Apollo 13 bit, then it, it would, would have been, been the, the greatest ever. hit fact in history. And, and it was only when I learned the actual dates involved that I was like, oh, well, that's not a good yeah. enough fact. You know, you were so close. You were so close, Jimbo. But I have to say, this is not... The greatest fact in the world. Oh no, this is just a tribute. Very good. So, Very I'm good. sorry. Very good. I'm sorry, Jimbo. You know I love my Jack Black. You know I love the D. Again, so many poorly chosen words in that <laughs> sentence. <laughs> Beth. Hello. It seems to me that the field is wide open. There is a there is a gaping goal, and all you have to do all you have to do is just vaguely kick the ball in the direction of the goal <laughs> and you will have a point this week. It's so like, what it's like you're playing uh, you know ice hockey but the goal is the size of a rugby goal. Don't, okay, that's, don't yeah, that's this what we're in front of here. me because I've never won before and now the pressure's mounting more you than can literally in, uh, say anything Chappers and you can win this week's <laughs> yeah. three fact structure. Right. Okay. Film is made of cheese. They're the well done <laughs> Beth you have won. Well I've actually put some thought into this one so I'll ask you to to hear me out. So this fact comes from the 1956 film, The Shark Fighters, which is a fictional film, but based on the real jobs of a group of US Navy scientists who invented a shark repellent during World War II. And it uses the same experience that Quint lived through in Jaws, the sinking of the US Indianapolis in 1945. Mm -hmm. That's its starting point. I mean, the main headline fact is that someone died of a shark attack on this set. So the director insisted on real shark footage and a makeup artist actually died and they used that in the publicity for the film. That's a Were they trying to fact. make up the shark? <laughs> just a little rouge, just a little rouge before, yeah. um, before the moment in the spotlight. A little, little eyeshadow, bring out the dark beadiness of the eyes, you see. <laughs> dark husky eyes. But uh, the, the facts I want to bring to the table is on the creation of the shark repellent itself. Now the film is based on the actual creation of something called the shark chaser and it's described in the script as a cake combining that's the lesser known alex rider novel but carry on <laughs> it's a cake combining copper acetate to mimic putrefied shark tissue black dye as a camouflage agent and a water soluble wax binder but the big fact is that the shark chaser which existed in real life was cooked up by none other than julia child during the war. So she uh, joined the Office of Strategic Services because she wanted to help out, but she was rejected from the army and the Navy for being too tall. So she uh, joined the Office of Strategic Services, developed the recipe for this shark chaser with Harold Jefferson Coolidge Jr., who's a zoologist and he was a descendant of Thomas Jefferson. And they used it, they used it as an actual shark repellent. And uh, that's what's at the basis of the shark fighters. Okay, so so your fact is that Julia Child, who yeah. would then go on to be played by Meryl Streep, <laughs> came up with the shark repellent spray that then Batman presumably uses in the 1960s Batman movie? <laughs> she did it all. Bat repellent, shark repellent, wasp And they repellent. used it on this, this movie, but it clearly didn't work because someone got gobbled. Oh God! Well, in real life, yes, it, the actual the, the the shark chaser actually got cancelled later on because it was ineffective. But at the time, <laughs> she made this cake, the shark repellent cake, and the uh, shark repellent cake, the shark repellent cake, 
that she cooked up. You know when I said you had um, an open goal? <laughs> <laughs> I was so pleased with this. The thought of Julia Child cooking up a shark repellent cake. And that's before she really started to cook seriously. So that's exactly. like, it's good knowledge. Yeah. And <sighs> this could be found, this is documented in the film Julia and Joslia. <laughs> Starring Amy Adams as Bruce. Um, all right. Yeah, you win. Well done. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Cheers. I was I was very pleased with that. <laughs> that was a good fact. Helen's fact was a good fact. Uh, it was solid. James's fact. I don't even know what that was. It was some sort of lie. It was just a. a it wasn't long... a lie. It was a. It, when I first read that, I thought this is the greatest fact ever. I'm so going to clean up. And then I sort of re- researched it. Damn it! I read something the other day about how Chris Pine's mother was pregnant with him when she was in a film. But I didn't read the rest of the tweet. There's, there's a reason reading. why you don't participate in this particular <laughs> yeah. segment of the podcast. It's becoming clear to me. I, re- I read a thing about how Chris Pine had a mother and it was fascinating. Yes. <laughs> I but I didn't finish the tweet, so I don't know how it ended. Um, yes. All right. So this week's winner is, drumroll, Beth Webb. Well done, Beth. Thank you. First victory, I'll take it. much rejoicing throughout the land. And we're much rejoicing throughout the land right now because it is time for our first interview this week, our first guest. And this is a, a an interview I've promised on the show, I think, approximately 745 times. But it is absolutely 100% happening this week. It is Doug Lyman, the great Doug Lyman, the director of the movie that got me through my shaky, achy shivers the other day. I was lying in bed and I was going, oh, I feel so sorry for myself. What should I watch? And I put on Amazon and there was Edge of Tomorrow. And I went, you know what? I'm going to watch half an hour of Edge of Tomorrow before the World Snooker final starts. And I clicked on it and, oh, semi-final. Sorry, I'm a liar. And I clicked on Edge of Tomorrow and I watched the first 30 minutes and then the whole thing because it's so goddamn good. Anyway, so Doug Lyman, the director of Swingers, director of Edge of Tomorrow, the director of Chaos Walking, the director of also <laughs> Locked Down, which is his movie that he made in lockdown. It is about a couple who are somewhat estranged, played by Anne Hathaway and Chiwetel Ejiofor, and they decide to rekindle their relationship by stealing a diamond from Harrods as you do. Film is out on Monday, Monday, May the 10th on digital download, and then June 7th on DVD. Uh, So you can check it out after you listen to my interview with Doug Lyman, which I recorded months ago. So I have no idea what we talked about. I do know that we did talk about the fact that he flew from where he lives in Martha's Vineyard to England to start shooting the movie. So man's a maniac. But uh, had a lot of fun with him. Once again, here we go. Finally, me talking to Doug Lyman. Do please enjoy. Hi, Doug. How's it going, sir? Good. How are you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. Thank you. Whereabouts in the world are you at the moment? I'm in Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts. Where are you? I'm in Greenwich in London. London feels that much closer to me because um, to make lockdown, I actually got on my little propeller plane and flew here from Martha's Vineyard to London. It just makes it feel closer that you're not like going to a big international airport that you, you know, I had to make a bunch of stops on the way to refuel, but it, it's, uh, it took two days, but it was London just, it just feels closer to me now. <laughs> just a hop and a skip across the pond. You know, you know, as a kid looking out across the ocean, I used to always think I could see England on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. The reality is you can't, obviously. No, no. But now I sort of feel like I can. 
<laughs> Indeed. So, um, so I actually wanted to ask you about that because I had read that you had flown over from Martha's Vineyard and it takes two days because you, you couldn't do it in a propeller plane in one, in one go. How far can you fly in a propeller well, plane? Well, Lindbergh, you know, did it in one go, but, but, <laughs> but I did, uh, you know, I, stopped, I went to Newfoundland, refueled, went to Greenland and refueled, Iceland and refueled, and then London. You, you took the scenic route. You know, because of COVID, you know, it's like you're not you're not really allowed to get out anywhere. Yeah, they're like get get your fuel and go. In lockdown, Doug, I have learned a little bit of French. I've made some podcasts. I haven't taken up baking. I haven't done any of that stuff. But uh, but you have blown it out of the water by making a, a movie. And was it an impetuous? Were you were you getting tired of being at home? Did you think, okay, I need to do something. I need I need to do something creative, and I need to do it now. Yeah, the lockdown really was my version of learning to bake bread, which I did not do. The closest I came to it was uh, Jake Gyllenhaal rented a house near me here at Martha's Vineyard, and he was getting into making sourdough. Um, and he gave me some sourdough starter, and, and it immediately died on me. So I, I never actually got to make bread, but this was my version of like, what it would be like, you know, I want to, I'm going to try to make a movie under these circumstances. I want to make a movie that's not only set during this moment in time. Mm-hmm. I want to shoot it during this moment in time. I was worried about people making movies during the pandemic because I thought they would automatically be depressing movies. Uh, they would be movies dwelling on that side of this experience we're all going through. Uh, and I was a bit worried. <laughs> about lockdown but it is it's funny and you focus and and the the tone of the movie it's not a drama that 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 dwells on the experience yeah well i was we all right everyone's having you know we're all having different experiences during this pandemic and mm-hmm. like we all know people who are having like the most jolly of times you know they're they're locked down with people they love and they're getting to spend so much time with the people they love. And like, we all hate those people. (laughs) And then there's the people who are struggling during this pandemic and maybe locked down with somebody that they have some issues with or, you know, and I was interested in telling a story about those people having those kinds of experiences, you know, in this case, a, you know, a couple who have decided to break up and are being forced to quarantine together. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a fun story for me. The film Lockdown isn't really about the pandemic. It's about the effect of the pandemic on the characters that we're following. Since we conceived of the movie to be a heist movie from the beginning, mm-hmm. it led us to a really unique heist, that, that the kind of heist that could only take place during a pandemic, which is that the impetus for the heist is ultimately people bored and locked up at home who are like, why not rob Harrods? <laughs> right at the end of the day, that really is, is the, the impetus for, for, for the heist is like, why not do it? Yeah. And by the way, that's also writer Steve Knight and, and me deciding to go make lockdown. Yeah. Right, the idea to, on July 1 to say, hey, let's come up with something to write and shoot it in September and finish it by the end of the year is probably more outrageous than robbing Harrods. It would have been easier to rob Harrods than to make lockdown. 
So uh, is it true that you, you, when you started to go out to financiers and, and, and uh, other producers and, and companies like that, that the script was only really half finished? That was not true. The, we okay. had 50 pages of a 180 page script. So it was a third finished. <laughs> it was a third and a quarter finished. <laughs> but these are not normal times. Yeah, of course. Right. Like the normal rules just don't apply. I don't care what you're doing. The normal rules don't apply yeah. right now. Yeah. And uh, so, but the, I have to say that the first 50 pages were so brilliant. Uh -huh. They were the best first 50 pages I read of anything. And I was like, I can't believe I have projects that I've been developing for years. And I'm like, how the hell does Steve Knight go away for four days and write 50 pages that are better that are not a little bit better, like way better than things that I've spent years developing. <laughs> so it was, they were so strong that it, it was, people were lining up to fund it. Okay. It was crazier was approaching the actors. You know, I had a little bit more of the script when I went to the actors, but not much more. I went to Anne Hathaway first, you know, because when you cast a love story, you got to, you got to pick one person, cast them, and then you pick somebody opposite them. And, you know, you, you don't, you never really get to put them in a room. You just have to sort of go with your gut. I mean, that was when I cast Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie for Mr. And Mrs. Smith. Like mm. she was in Thailand. Like I cast her off a phone call. I already had Brad cast her off a phone call. So in this case, I was going to go with Anne Hathaway. I went to Anne Hathaway uh -huh. and you know, it was a very unusual way to go to an actor to be like, here's somewhere between a third and half of a script. And we're going to start shooting in a couple of weeks. So Anne's agent said, you know, I'm going to set a phone call for you to like talk her through what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So she knows how to read this. Mm -hmm. No one's ever sent her just a part of a script. <laughs> and I, I get on the phone with her and I'm like, I'm starting to talk to her about the project and why it's so timely and we got to go and you know, why it's happening so fast. And, because we're also racing COVID because it's, we know that London's going to, you know, we have an opportunity to make the film now, but it's, it may not last. Mm. And she's like, you can save your breath. I've read the 50 pages or 60 pages. They're brilliant. I'm in. Chiwetel, I went to, then I was like, okay, who would be great opposite Annie? Yeah. And I thought, you know, Chiwetel was just so brilliant. And I had a, conversation with him and i was like you know he's i've never seen him do something like this this is like and he he got here's the thing like the story starts with with uh paxton the character played by chuatel you know trying to kill himself mm. but it's a comedy like annie got that it was a comedy yeah chuatel got that it was a comedy but chuatel's you know i know that i I gave Chiwetel 90, by the time I talked to Chiwetel, we had 90 pages. Okay. Because it tra traditional scripts, like 100 to 110 pages. Yeah. So Chiwetel, I never forget, said to me, like, I wonder how Steve's going to wrap this up in 20 pages. When the reality was he wasn't, that we're get, the script was going to end up being 180 pages. There were going to be 100 more pages, not 20. I mean, so, so Doug, whenever you, whenever you got on your plane and flew over from Martha's Vineyard, how many pages had Steve Knight completed at that point? Did you have a complete script? No, I had 90 pages. Okay. 
Steve finished the script while I was in the air. He, we thought he had finished it. He didn't, he, when he was in the air, he, he, he wrote up to page 140. Okay. And said there was five pages left to go, which was a lie. So I land in London uh-huh. and I go straight to a location scout to the house, which I've picked via FaceTime, but now I'm going to go see it in person. And we start shooting in a week and a half. And I get to this set and, you know, at, while I was in the air, he'd, he'd written, he said another 50 pages, you know, 90 to 140. Yeah. But I didn't have a chance to look at it. You know, I didn't want to read it in the drive from the airport, you know, because I, I'm very important to me how I first read pages. So I was like, when I, when I, that night, quietly at home, I'll read it. And I get to the set. And meanwhile, you know, my assistant director and one of the producers had read it. By the way, Harrods had already read it and sent some notes. Okay. And they're ta- while I'm looking at the house, my assistant director and my producer, Allison Winter, are, are talking about scenes that are within those pages I haven't read yet. And I was like, don't spoil the end of the movie for me. Stop talking about it in front of me. And we all sort of laughed because we're like, when are you ever going to be on a location scout where the director is telling his crew not to spoil how the film ends for him <laughs> because they've read it ahead of him. <laughs> Almost never. And then it turns out when Steve was like, it's five more pages, it turns out it was 40 more pages. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I know from having uh, spoken to you on American Made, I know that on that movie, for a while at least, you shared a house with Tom Cruise. Uh, you didn't do that on this, did you? You didn't share a house no, with... I shared a house with my producer, PJ. Okay. All right. Because of the, because of the quarantine, we were a pod. In fact, I was on the same floor as his two-year-old daughter, Lily. <laughs> and and the, the first shot of the movie, which is the empty London intersection, yeah. is just across the street from us. Oh, wow. I literally opened the door and walked out one morning and I just shot the, because that's what London looked like. It was, you know, it's lockdown. Because London was locking down around us while we were shooting. That's part of the energy that you see on screen is we're racing to finish the movie before we get shut down. And those are real neighbors. That's a real street that you guys are on in the, in yeah, the movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's like, like, I mean, my favorite little detail is like a father and son at the window where the father's like helping the, the sons on his laptop and the father's, and they're looking at it, Chuatel doing his poetry. And like, that's just, that's just a father and son at home locked down. <laughs> In a way, I mean, obviously, Doug, you have over the years made huge movies, Mr. and Mrs. Smith and Edge of Tomorrow. and But you also like to make smaller movies. You like to make this and, and The Wall. Yeah. And you obviously started with Swingers and Go. In a way, did this recall the energy of those, particularly particularly Swingers, I guess, which was such a, a young, scrappy movie full of, fuck it, let's do it now, energy? This definitely, I mean, I was, you know, Stringers was 18 days. This was 18 days. Wow. It, it definitely replicated the, uh, the kind of, there were no adults in the room while we were making Swingers. And this sort of was, that got me, there were no adults in the room when we made Lockdown. Was, <laughs> because they're just, you know, the, norm, the adults in the room are normally like, this is how a movie gets made and this is how things are normally done. And just, there is no normal right now. Looking ahead to the future. Uh, hopefully we get out of this pandemic sooner yeah. rather than later. Are you, are you going into space with Tom Cruise next? Is that, is that what's next for you? 
it's definitely happening. Um, I may do one other movie before then, just because uh, making lockdown has just opened me up to the possibility of what you could, what, what can be done. And, and I'm, I'm just making lockdown was such an impossible thing to even think about attempting. And I'm so proud of how the movie turned out that I'm just inspired to take other big swings. And obviously going into space with Tom Cruise is the ultimate big swing, but I've got some other big swings that I'm, I'm interested in taking. And, and it's, and I do think that like when, when a filmmaker takes a big swing and gets rewarded when it, when it works, that's good for that filmmaker. It's good for all filmmakers. It's good for films. Like, I just want to kind of embrace the sort of the confidence that making lockdown has given me to, to just push myself even further outside my comfort zone. Could you do something like this in a, in a genre context? Could you do, for example, Edge of Tomorrow 2? in this in this way on this scale or does it need to be big in scope um no you it's um i've I've been looking at things like that i've been like what how it's changed how i look at movies in some way you know when i was making lockdown um you know you realize like a lot of uh the sort of things that give movies scale are sort of shoe leather things they're they're just they're not really integral to the story they're just you know, the, the, the transitional pieces tend to sometimes be the pieces that give you more scale. Mm-hmm. And the most sort of like cliche example, like an establishing shot of outside a building as someone's walking in yeah. before you go inside the building to tell you where they are, when the real content happens inside the building in the scenes. Making lockdown, I recognize that every scene I shot ran the risk of... of of someone getting sick and and us getting shut down and and you know obviously we didn't want someone to get sick for you know, for human beings we care about people mm. working on our movies and so I had to sort of apply an approach to making lockdown which was like what's really important and anything that's not really important I'm not going to shoot even if I might like it that's not enough because every single thing I shoot. And no matter what you're doing, you're putting people in harm's way and, and you're putting the movie in harm's way by the nature of making a movie during a pandemic. So it, it made me um, really be way more discriminating. Like if you look at lockdown, there's no transitional anything. I mean, it just it's I, it, I just cut to the meat of every scene. Mm-hmm. I, I hope to bring that with me to, to future projects. And so I, I have thought about when I, when I look at, I'll never look at a script the same way twice because I, I now, I'm not going to waste the audience's time with something that they don't really, really need. Well, on that note, Doug, I'm going to let you go, but I just have to ask, can you sum up in one word Jake Gyllenhaal's sourdough? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it indifferent? How would you describe it? Well, to be honest, he was making sourdough pizza crust and it was very hard to work with. <laughs> Better actor than a pizza chef. Well, or it may be that it's just there's techniques for working with it that are. Uh... Also, I, I think his sourdough starter might have been a little feeble because it, it, it did die pretty quickly. <laughs> uh, in, in my care. <laughs> in your care. I'm going to blame him. I'm going to blame him. Uh, Doug, it's been a pleasure as always. Thank you so much, sir. Nice talking to you. 
All right, so that was Doug Lyman. And as I say, Lockdown is available on digital download from Monday, May 10th, and then DVD on June 7th. So check it out if you fancy it. Time to barrel straight into our listener question. We had a whole bunch of listener questions, so I think we're sorted for the next few weeks, actually. But we have one from Andrew Davies, who is at no sympathy, and then the... Twitter handle just kind of runs off the page, so I can't read the rest of his Twitter handle. So I have no idea what he's called on Twitter, but he sent in a question. Uh, with cinemas about to reopen, which recent straight-to-home viewing release would you most like to revisit on the big screen with a full house? So we've been in lockdown now since, what, December in this country? May 17th is when cinemas reopen. Monday, May 17th. Very, very excited about that. There's a plethora of content that's going to be in cinemas. Some films like Nomadland and Sound of Metal are going to be re-released. There's going to be new stuff as well, like Spiral from the Book of Saw. Very excited about that. Uh, but if you could choose one film that isn't getting a re-release, that has entertained you, new release during the lockdown, and you could see it on the big screen with a, with a, with a full-paying crowd, what would it be and why? What would it be? Who could it be? Where could it be? be? <laughs> I'd be very up for a sort of Saturday morning screening of The Mitchells versus The Machines. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't it be good, though? Oh, it'd be you know, okay. with, the, with the coffee and the croissants, maybe. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, I mean, dog, yeah. Dog, pig, dog, pig, dog, pig, loaf of bread. <laughs> I miss Convert. I love it. This is amazing that the one, the, <laughs> the, the character you most empathize with and immediately quote <laughs> is the broken robot. I mean, okay. I mean, I'm nothing if not consistent. <laughs> that, that would be tremendous, wouldn't it? And we said last week that that. You know, that was meant to come out in cinemas. It was a Sony mm. Pictures animation movie. It still is. And then they, you know, they, well, they sold it or Netflix bought it or, or, they, or they just dropped it. And then Netflix picked it up and went, hey, you dropped this. But I think the cinema's loss is Netflix's gain. However, there was also talk this week that uh, I believe Netflix have struck a deal in the States to have some of their movies play in cinemas. Uh, we'll talk about that in the movie news section because I can't remember the name of the of the, of the chain. I think it's uh, I think it's Cinemark. I want to say Cinemark. It may not even be a real chain, but let's say Cinemark, <laughs> and uh, that's interesting. So maybe finally the door is going to swing both ways on the old Netflix cinema exchange, which is good because I feel sometimes they take that experience away from us. I would have loved to have seen. The Mitchells versus Machines with you guys and mm -hmm. uh, and high fiving and laughing and doing all the good stuff. Good silly fun. I'm going to cheat because I am actually going to get a ticket for a screening of this, which is showing at um, the Prince Charles in London. But for me, it has to be Barb and Star. Just a packed out, raucous, <laughs> slightly tipsy screening of Barb and Star. I think that would just take the retinas out of my eyes and stomp them on the ground. <laughs> I, I can't wait. I can't wait. That's, that's probably the first thing I do after I get my vaccine is, is buy my tickets to see that. But I, I think that would be such a joyful thing to experience in just a room full of slightly drunk mm. Londoners. I think that's going to be so great. So that's definitely the, yeah. the big one for Comedy, me. Yeah. 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 Can you imagine mm. Edgar's prayer on the big screen <laughs> with a group of people just singing the lyrics along with Jamie Dornan? Well, if they had any good sense to them, which they do, to be fair, they will put sing-along options on the uh, on the oh, screen. Yeah. I think it would be fantastic. 
Can they do that? Because the, the, one of the things, one of, one of my criticisms of Barbs, Barbs and Stars, that's uh, a sequel, that's a sequel where it's like aliens, <laughs> just loads of them. Um, one of my criticisms of that is that it doesn't become the full-blown musical that it threatened to be mm. at a certain point. And I, I do wonder if they had plans for more songs after Edgar's Prayer, or maybe they realised we can't top that. We can't. We can't get just any better than away. that. They should have just ended the film there, to be honest. But yeah, that must be some plastic seagulls, palm trees, Hawaiian shirts. I'm I'm down for the whole the whole shebang. It'd be great. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Seagull on a tire. Can you hear Beth's prayer? <laughs> that would be cracking. Yeah, that would be cracking. So well done. You you're, you're all taking my options. This is <laughs> this fantastic. I will also add Godzilla versus Kong because you know yes. there is nothing that says cinema. Like a giant ape beating up a giant lizard, or vice yeah, versa. Absolutely, I'm, I'm in with a you major on that. metropolis. Yeah, just to spite Chris, I'm tempted to pick Palm Springs, but I won't. Instead, <laughs> I will go to Greenland, which is the one that I would like to see in the cinema. Greenland, because, uh, Greenland, 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 the place where I want to be. <laughs> I very much would like to see that on the big screen. I thought it was really effective on the small screen, but I think, you know, the impact, literally, of those things hitting the ground uh, would be magnified tenfold or, mm. you know, more yeah. on the big screen. So, yeah. yes, I'd like to see that. Jerry Butler to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I've always. Always, I've always believed that. Always. That accent really needs sort of like Atmos Surround sound. sound. Yeah. yeah. 7.1 <laughs> less is Dolby. That's what he needs to <laughs> yell. I would pay real money if they replaced the little sound test at the beginning of films with Jerry Butler. Less is Dolby. That'd be brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Just just to not be completely, you know, uh, well, us. I would also <laughs> say like Nomadland and Sound of Metal in particular, I yeah. would really, really like to see on the big screen just out of the Oscar kind of, you know. Yeah cohort i think the the expanses and the and the sheer sort of um geography of nomadland deserves a big screen and and, and there's I'd nothing love like being to- depressed in a room for the strangers <laughs> <laughs> Look, i mean it can all be cupcakes and rainbows james can't it though helen can't it <laughs> I, I would point you to your life as you were just complaining about <laughs> <laughs> just that immersive soundscape as francis mcdormand takes a big old dump in a bucket oh, my God. <laughs> yeah you haven't experienced that until until you've had it in Atmos. Tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, we should say that there's no correlation between shitting in a bucket and winning Best Picture. Otherwise, Adam Sandler would have five Oscars by now. So. <laughs> he does in your heart, Chris. Don't worry. <laughs> what? He shits in a bucket in my heart? I, I mean, I, I think he does, actually. But he certainly has Oscars in your heart. Yeah, yeah, he does. Oh. Um, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with um, Godzilla vs. Kong. I want to see that on an IMAX, and I want to get the good seat in IMAX. <laughs> like, there's, there's more than one good seat in an IMAX, obviously. But there's I want like to get not that many more. <laughs> no, not that, you, you don't want to be on the edge of an IMAX, right? You don't want you don't want to do that. You want to be bang in the middle, slap bang in the middle. So yeah, that that been great. Just watching that that full blown mayhem. We should obviously point out that we weren't locked down until. December, so we have seen Wonder Woman 1984 on the big screen mm-hmm. and Tenet on the big screen. Unfo- and yeah, here he goes, Jimbo, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, you, then you moved on to Tenet, and I didn't want it to be confusing because I really enjoyed Tenet. So. <laughs> so we have seen quite a lot of the big stuff on the on the big screen mm-hmm. as well. An American Pickle also. I didn't see that on the big screen. Oh, you missed out. No. Oh, that is the, that so, is the, that's the one. So briny. 
That is the one. What about something like Wolfwalkers? Would you like to see Wolfwalkers on the big screen? Yes, yeah, absolutely, hundred yeah. percent. I've also said if if this is allowed, I would love to see Lovers Rock on a big screen. I think that would be really, really mm. special. I'd go with him on so he can sing along to Silly Games, <laughs> beautiful baritone. Um, I also put down. I'd love a midnight screening of Possessor. I think that would. Uh, oh my god! That would yeah. leave me for dead. Um, that would be really fun. I miss a good raucous like midnight screening. I think that would be really fun. Yeah. So, uh, do, what, what do you have a plan? What is your plan for? Are are we all going to see something on May seventeenth? Assuming, of course, that the course is held and cinemas do reopen, do we have plans to go see something? Uh, it's going to be probably Nomadland for me, and maybe Sound of Metal, maybe B two B, maybe I, I might just spend the whole day in there. To be honest, just running mm. around between anything, anything that will take me. To be honest, and then there's Barb and hmm, yeah. Star, Barb and Star, and then um. There's a screening of Boogie Nights by where I am that I'm looking forward to. Oh, really? So, no, so it was actually opened. There have they have they said what's coming out yet? Have they? Prince Charles has. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I didn't want to say Prince Charles again because it just sounds like I'm a I'm a walking talking sponsor of Prince Charles. But they're doing a, a Paul Thomas Anderson retrospect, so I'll be at most of those. But yeah, anything that will take me, to be honest. That is huge. That is huge. Yeah, because I uh, I know that on the okay, so on the seventeenth we've got Sound of Metal being re-released. Nomadland is being released into cinemas. Spiral from the Book of Saw, as I said earlier on. Those Who Wish Me Dead, which is the new Taylor Sheridan movie with Angelina Jolie, which looks like it could be a ton of fun as well. And of course, I think Peter Rabbit too. So those are the five. You just you just <laughs> see those five and you're good. You are sorted. I mean, some of some of that definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, why not? Why not? I mean, sure. Would I have to watch Peter Rabbit 1 again or would I, you know, I don't want to risk missing any nuance. Uh, was there nuance in Peter Rabbit 1? I mean, I don't I don't remember really. I have seen it actually, but I, I don't. Mm. Mm. But it has been too long and <laughs> just describing this podcast in general. It has been too long since we have had our MCU fix on the big screen, mm. I would say. And so my remedy for that is that we take WandaVision and the Falcon and the Winter Soldier and we cut them down to two hours each. And we just throw them up on the, wow. on the big screen. There we go. I don't mean like okay. cut them so it makes sense, like just cut out every third word and then just <laughs> stick it up on the big screen. I would be more than happy. Oh, stick some Marvel things on the big screen. Put an end game up on the big screen, you cowards, is what I would say. And uh, yeah, Palm Springs. Palm Springs is my mm-hmm. film of the year so far, although uh, Mitchell's versus Machines came perilously close uh, to toppling it. So yeah, stick those up. Double bill. Monday, May 17th. Make it happen. Cinemas. That's the power we wield here in the Empire Podcast. <laughs> Uh, so as I said, we have a bunch of questions that you guys have sent in to us. So I think we're pretty much sorted for the next few weeks. But if you do fancy uh, having your question read out in the Emperor Podcast and treat it with the respect it deserves, as I now know his name, at No Sympathy Knight, No Sympathy Knight did, uh, to his cost, then you can get in touch with us via one method and one method only at the moment, which is Twitter. So you can get in touch with us on Twitter. Uh, I am Chris Hewitt, at Chris Hewitt on Twitter. Slide at my DMs, reply to any of my tweets, or wait for me to do a panicked shout-out, as we did the other day. So thank you very much indeed for that. And there we go. That is this week's listener question, tied up, nice big bow. Okay, so now it is time to talk about the movie news, the things that have been happening in the world of movies this week. And we 
should begin by talking about news, very big news that broke last week after the podcast was recorded. We weren't able to come back in and re-record a bit uh, about this, but it's a news that Noel Clark, the actor, writer and director Noel Clark, uh, last week was the subject of numerous allegations of, and I quote, groping, harassment and bullying, end quote, made against him by 20 women, 20 women, in an article in The Guardian. And obviously a few weeks ago, Noel Clark was the recipient of a BAFTA for Outstanding Contribution to British Cinema. And that award was suspended fairly immediately by BAFTA in the wake of this, as was his membership of BAFTA. What do we make of this, folks? Um, yeah, I mean, look, this was really upsetting. I think we all, you know, admired what what Noel Clark uh, had accomplished in his career, and we've interviewed him several times on this podcast. He, mm-hmm. he joined the team for one podcast. Yeah. Um, but equally, you know, the, these are a huge number of women with with I would say very little obvious reason to lie and many obvious reasons not to speak up. Um, and these kind of allegations. Uh, many of which are not the, the kind of thing that will ever be resolved in a court of law. Many of these are not illegal. Um, you know, I saw a lot of people on Twitter on the night this happened saying innocent until proven guilty, which is of course true for legal offences. But for a lot of this, there is no authority that judges this. There is no one to step in. He was a boss on sets and he apparently acted in a way that was well, certainly, uh, as described by these women, if, if that is the case, it was unprofessional and and or unethical. And so th- it's hard to see who would adjudicate this. So it's a difficult it's a difficult thing to talk about. What we can say is that more women have come forward since. We can say that today, as we record this, eight hundred plus people, mostly women, have signed a letter calling for a change in the culture of UK filmmaking. Um, and uh, it's 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 maybe the case that the UK did not particularly have a Me Too moment. We didn't particularly have a long list of changes that came out of this beyond the the hiring and, and the sort of normalization of, of intimacy coordinators, which I think is much more common now. I'm not aware, and please correct me people if I'm wrong, of much concrete change as a result of the Me Too movement in this country. And I think there was a perception that maybe we're not as bad. And the, the conversations that have been happening this week, not just about Clark, but more widely suggest that that is not the case and that there are serious issues to address in UK filmmaking and behind the scenes in women in all sorts of roles forced to put up with, um, you know, misconduct, sometimes mm-hmm. harassment, sometimes bullying, sometimes just incredibly sexist attitudes, language, incredibly sexist attitudes or language or, uh, you know, career decision making. This is stuff that affects their working lives day to day and affects the opportunities that are available them, to them. So there's there's clearly, I think, uh, an issue to address for the whole UK film industry, far beyond Noel Clark. But, it, you know, it's incredibly upsetting. Um, to read about everything, uh, all of these allegations. And by his own account, he has apologised for certain of his failings. He has, he has taken responsibility for at least some of these allegations um, and and certainly feels he has, you know, let people down. And, and therefore, there is clearly a, a need to do better. We should also point out, of course, that Noel Clark, uh, as of right now, as of recording this, uh, has 
uh, issued a couple of statements, I think. The most recent one, he says, I vehemently deny any sexual misconduct or criminal wrongdoing. I think this is a statement that came out after BAFTA suspended his membership and suspended the, the BAFTA. Recent reports, however, have made it clear to me that some of my actions have affected people in ways I did not intend or realize. To those individuals, I am deeply sorry. I will be seeking professional help to educate myself and change for the better. And of course, there's been immediate effects uh, as a result of the Guardian piece and as a result of these accusations. Uh, so he was the star of an ITV show, Viewpoint, which was being screened every night last week on ITV. And ITV didn't screen the last episode. They put it up on ITV Hub for a limited time. And a lot of companies who've been working with Noel Clark and with his company, Unstoppable, uh, have cut ties and said they will no longer work with him. So Sky were working with him on the fourth series of Bulletproof and they have said we will we will not work with Noel Clark. And obviously there's a BAFTA suspension as well. So there have been immediate repercussions. But uh, Beth, what's your take on, on what has happened here? Well, I was disappointed, yes, as someone who watched that BAFTA speech and did feel, you know, quite emotionally in support of someone who so readily champions themselves as um, a filmmaker who stands with diversity and immerses themselves in emerging talent and who so readily labels himself as that. But I think just given, I mean, this is abuse over years and across various positions within the film industry from the ground up, from the roots, people that have worked on film sets in, you know, runner roles right up to the top. Uh, And it's just highlighting to me that this is an industry that is still protecting men at the expense of women's safeties, you Mm -hmm. know, right down from the people that are working on these, you know, these short films, films with um, indie filmmakers involved right up to the voting bodies. I want to commend the women who have spoken to The Guardian. They're not A-listers, which is not to say that they're brave and for coming out and speaking about this, but I'm just saying that in some cases with the women that spoke out against Weinstein and spoke out in Hollywood, they they have certain areas of protection that these women perhaps don't. And so they have a lot more to lose by coming out and speaking on the record Mm. and and not anonymously as well. I think, I think to commend that is, is very important. And I think we really need to get to work as that, as that letter says, this is so much broader than this one person. I wish that wasn't the truth, but it is. And um, I do hope that broader actions are taken. I hope that he's held to account massively. The steps being taken, it's a shame that it's come to this for these actions. But apparently this is what we have to do now. This is this is what it takes for for shifts. And and I can only hope it has to change. It just it just has to. You know, everything that Clark stood for that we admired, you know, his commitment to diversity, the fact that he wasn't an Oxbridge educated public school, you know, wealthy white guy and had succeeded in the film industry despite that across a number of roles. All of these things, you know, are are harmed by this because diversity also includes women. And I, you know, this is obviously intersectional issues as well. But like, if you're not standing up for women who were also horrifically underrepresented in the film industry, if you are in fact blocking women from enjoying and fulfilling careers, you are still part of the problem, even if you have yourself overcome huge numbers of barriers to be there. So that's why it's so upsetting, I think, and and so disappointing um, that that these allegations have come out against Clark, because we wanted to believe that he was one of the people who was changing the industry from the inside. And and certainly to the extent that he, he has done, that's great, but he has clearly had this huge blind spot, it seems like, in his in his life. 
Indeed, indeed. And uh, we shall see how this plays out and how it progresses over the next few weeks as well. So let's talk about something that makes us all unequivocally happy. And that is, again, the return to cinemas Hmm. and the fact that we'll be back in cinemas very, very soon and we'll be watching (laughs) stuff. This week, Marvel Studios released a trailer more of a promotional video in, in a way, but within that was contained some some lovely nuggets. So basically, it was a uh, it was a video that partially reminded people of the the roller coaster ride that's been the MCU so far. Uh, oh, you like those bits, don't you? Do you remember these bits? Oh, that was we're so good. We're about to talk about portals, aren't we? Yeah, we think we are. We're very Woo! much about to talk about portals. And then the segue <laughs> into, hey, this is what watching portals was like in the cinema. Do you remember cinemas? Do you remember that when you <laughs> went with people and there were strangers and you had this great communal experience? Well, get ready, because we're coming. So I'm very, very excited about this. So the trailer then showed some footage from... Black Widow, which is coming out in July from Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, which is coming out in September. We got our first look at footage from Chloe Zhao's Eternals, which is out in November and looked like a Marvel movie directed by Chloe (laughs) Zhao. It was very, very interesting. Uh, And then then they were just like, you want more? There's going to be more. And they basically just unfailed in a whole bunch of logos and release dates. But nevertheless, me being the massive MCU, you know, fully fully paid up shill that I am, I got very, very excited about it. So Doctor mm. Strange, Spider-Man No Way Home, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, Thor Love and Thunder. And then they dropped some big ones that we didn't know were coming. For example, they gave the, the official title for Black Panther 2, which is now Black Panther Wakanda Forever and Captain Marvel 2 which is now simply The Marvels oh my god and then they they went (laughs) Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 and the logo itself is quite interesting to talk about because the logo was red surrounded by gold or gold surrounded by red I can't quite remember and those are the colours of Adam Warlock who is the major cosmic Marvel character who has long been rumoured to show up in Guardians 3 and play a major role in that film. And then there was a brief glimpse of the Fantastic Four logo with no release date attached. But uh, uh, it was basically Marvel going... Remember nerdgasms? Remember remember crowds, remember that incredible communal experience and remember the big screen and remember what it's like to watch a movie in a a room full of strangers because yes, we're we're hitting stuff on Disney Plus and yes, Black Widow is going to be on Disney Plus and probably all these movies will have some sort of Disney Plus release as well. But this is about the big screen and reinforcing how important that experience was and is. And so, guys, it got me in the feels big time. What about you? Yeah, I'm 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 hyped, man. I mean, un- unsurprisingly, perhaps. I think Wakanda Forever is a wonderful, wonderful title. I think it, it yeah. has, you know, elements of of sort of memorial tribute, uh, you know, affection, love for for Chadwick Boseman. It it doesn't sort of, I don't know. It just it just feels it feels right. Um, yeah. it feels lovely. Yeah. Um. And and the Marvels, the Marvels, I'm oh. so excited about because that I think, I hope, is not just Captain Marvel, it's also Photon, and I think it's also Ms. Marvel, who you know I am massive about on. The logo alone would indicate that it's Ms. Marvel. Quite, Because yes. the, the so, S on the Marvels is from her yeah. logo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
So yeah, so, it looks like uh, looks like we're going to get uh, Carol Danvers and uh, Monica Rambeau and um, Kamala Khan. So yeah. I'm very excited about that. I did see someone on the internet briefly try to to say, "Is this no longer Captain Marvel two? Because they want to try and head off the anti Captain Marvel, anti Brie Larson dickheads at the pass." I don't think so. I don't Just think because so. having a film led by three women will make those people so well, much happier. Yeah. <laughs> this, honestly, this is like doubling down on it. That's why. That's what I love about it. It's doubling down. It's like, hey, you didn't like that first movie, dickheads? Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Feel threatened by powerful women? Well, oh my God, you ain't seen nothing yet. Yeah, and it's just, you know, they've all got their different kind of powers, their different levels of experience with those powers. We've obviously... Uh, no spoilers for WandaVision, but we've met Monica Rambeau already, um, mm-hmm. and we're we're going to see Ms. Marvel what later this year, early next. So, yeah, uh, and she, I mean, I cannot stress to you enough how much I adore her in the comics. I think she's going to be phenomenal on the big screen. She's one of Marvel's biggest selling comics the last few years, and certainly in terms of sort of more original characters. And she's just great. She's so likable. She's sort of Peter Parkery, Miles Moralesy, but very much her own character at the same time. But that that level of likability and nerdiness and, you know, just youthful energy. She's so good. She's going to be great. I can get behind that. Is this, so is Zoe Ashton going to be in the Marvels then? She as is. Because the, she's tipped for the, I'm so excited for that. I've not seen her do a big, big movie bit before. So I'm really excited mm. to see her channel that big VOD energy into, <laughs> into the Marvel Universe. I think that's going to be wicked. Yeah, very I'm, excited I'm for that. Very mm. excited about all of this. I know we're not allowed to say I'm very excited anymore. But that's been outlawed, but or I'm on board for. We are here for it. I'm fully here for that. Uh, <laughs> weirdly, the only thing about it that I'm underwhelmed by is Fantastic Four. Like, I have a weird. I'm just. I'm just. They leave me cold. I've never really no, been man. down with Marvel's first family. Love the X Men. Love the Avengers. Mm. Never really cared much for the Fantastic Four. And Feige, we trust. MCU Fantastic Four. Oh yeah, though, sure. I have know? no doubt it'll be brilliant, but I just, yeah. I'm not. I'm not sort of preemptively squeeing about it. If you imagine the sort of no, it's, it's obviously just rumours, and I'm sure will remain so, and they'll come up with something we don't expect. But if you can imagine the sort of uh, John Krasinski, Emily Blunt esque Fantastic Four, like that to me is pretty mm-hmm. compelling. And if they go for something of that level, I'm not yeah. saying it has to be their casting, yeah. but something on the, with that kind of level of likability yeah. and chemistry together, I think it could be really special. It probably doesn't help that we've been burned before three times that, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm a little yeah. bit cautious. Yeah, you know, look, they, they, like Chris Evans got his role right in the end. It just took him a couple of tries first. <laughs> it's fine. He <laughs> um, wasn't bad as Johnny. None of them were bad. Well, Okay, I mean, the 2015 one was bad, but the original yes. one was like it was cartoony, kiddie. It was yeah. fine. The casting, the casting was fun. The casting was fun in those, and you know, Chickless was a great thing, and he was. Chris Evans was a great Johnny Storm, and yeah, it, it, the effects. Jessica were... Alba was in it. Um, <laughs> Love her. Couldn't, couldn't see her much, but Jessica know. Alba offered to make me popcorn on the set of Fantastic Four. I will always have a soft spot for I for that movie will. in my heart. Anyway, Marvel trailer looked fantastic. I was very very excited about that. And yes, it's a whole bunch of release dates and logos. And I know that we should get excited about this sort of stuff. But for me, it's about what they represent, and it's about being back in the cinema. And I love that they're staking everything again on, on and it being back in the cinemas. And it's not just them. It's obviously you know everyone who's mm. out there making a movie specifically for the big screen right now. Yeah. And uh, you know more power to your collective elbow. Uh, I say but yeah very very excited I was slightly disappointed we didn't get any footage from Spider-Man No Way Home I thought they were they were heading in that direction but we did see the first footage from Eternals what did we make of that 14 second glimpse that had <laughs> Salma Hayek on a horse it had 
uh, Richard Madden, it had Kamel Nanjiani and it had Angelina mm. Jolie with a sword and it looked like everything, as is the way, was shot at Magic Hour. This is the one I'm excited for above all else, just in terms of concept and what I've heard about how she's using locations, the use of character, the first LGBTQ character, and it's Brian Tyree Henry, who I love, and little Barry Keoghan as a superhero. I'm excited for that. Little Barry Keoghan. Little Barry Keoghan. <laughs> um, I, I am gassed for this more so than I think, and I'm, I'm relatively new to the MCU, but this I mm. cannot wait for. Mm. I think this is going to be just entirely new turf for them, and I, I can't wait. It's the director of Nomadland taking that lens and aiming it at Camden Town. And let me tell you, I am 100% here for that. <laughs> I am I am genuinely also happy to see Angelina Jolie back on screen. I feel like we haven't had nearly enough of her as an actress in the past really decade, but certainly five years. And, uh, and I'm super, super hyped to see her in the MCU. I think that's going to mm. be great. And Gemma Chan as well, returning to the MCU. Mm-hmm. Mm. I just, yeah, I think this is going to be fun. I've I've read a little bit of Eternals, not a huge amount, but there's a lot of potential there to go in some weird directions. And I think Chloe Zhao is just the person to do it. Indeed, you may be surprised to know, long-time listeners to the podcast may be surprised to know we're, we're quite Marvel positive here, but, um, but there you go. <laughs> They've worn us down. What can I say? So enough banging on about Marvel. Uh, I was very excited last night to see the news that Gareth Edwards is finally returning to direct a movie, mm. which is exciting. He hasn't directed a movie since his experience on Star Wars Rogue One or whatever it's called. Rogue One, the Star Wars story. What's the official title? Who knows? Rogue One. You know what it's, you, you know what it's called. You know what the film I'm talking about. Uh, so burst on the scene a few years ago with Monsters, then he made the 2014 Godzilla, then made Rogue One, and since then has been lying dormant. A bit like Godzilla himself waiting for the <laughs> right film. And that right film is apparently called True Love, and will star John David Washington, and will be, you may not be surprised to know, a sci-fi, but beyond that, very little is known about it. But yeah, I'm excited. What, mm. do, you, what do you guys think? Near future sci-fi story starring John David Washington. I mean, oh, we've been here uh, before. <laughs> yeah, maybe this is a really meta Tenet joke, right? Maybe it's Tenet, but uh, but you know, one that makes sense this time. <laughs> or, or Tenet with emotion. And that's yes. what the that's what the. Uh, I mean, you you don't quite have an anagram of Tenet there, but you've got like three of the five letters, so you're you're really nearly there. Yeah. And if you turn the U upside down, you've got four out of five. <laughs> yeah, I'm half on board for that. That sounds good to me. <laughs> I'd like to see John David Washington in a monsters type scenario, kind of like a mm. small scale survival sci-fi. I mean, I loved, I loved Rogue One, but I would like to see him in a kind of up against the elements type thing. He's, he's, he's yeah. an action. He's a, he's a bleeding man now. I'd like to see him do something creative yeah. and i think that'd be that'd be yeah. good fun rogue one was of course triumphant as we all know from the poster <laughs> but uh <laughs> uh yeah no i'm excited to see what he's doing i interviewed gareth after rogue one uh i think that was obviously a quite difficult <laughs> that, experience for him that's what made him <laughs> down tools <is> it? <laughs> yeah, that's it yeah he spoke to me and that was it he quit the film industry he's come back though and that's good um yeah i don't know what this is but i'm always here for sci-fi and gareth edwards sci-fi starring john david washington absolutely mm -hmm. It's been five years since Rogue One, and I know that experience uh, on that movie was perhaps not what he had mm. hoped for going into it. Uh, I had begun to fear that maybe it had burned him to the point where he was going to pull a Stephen Norrington and never direct again. 
But uh, I'm glad to see that he's back uh, with John David Washington as well. Yes, please. What if it's a stealth Malcolm and Marie sequel? That's the question mm-hmm. none of us dare ask. Well, then we get Zendaya too. <laughs> so, you know, that's all the better. Uh, this week as well, there's also some interesting casting news. It seems like uh, Hannah John Kamen, ghost herself from Ant-Man and the Wasp, is going to be Red Sonia. Yeah, this is cool, I think. She's a very, very cool character. We've seen that she has some fighting skills. And um, yeah, it, it it just sounds like a much more intriguing prospect than it than it did. Um, so uh, Joey Soloway, the tr- creator of Transparent, is directing. Tasha Huo is uh, writing the script. She also did Black Bell. Um, so this, this sounds kind of cool, I think. She's a sort of, you know, for those who don't know the comics um, and books, indeed, uh, Conan the Barbarian esque incredibly fierce woman who kind of runs around in a metal bikini pretty much Mm -hmm. all the time i mean she's not one for armor and it's kind of part of her character so it's one of these ones where actually maybe they just leave the outfit as it is you know in a sort of 300 style yeah or maybe she'll have a cardigan a nice safe (laughs) dependable cardigan cardigan? oh uh, an actual you mean an actual cardigan no an actual cardigan Particularly yeah. sturdy knitwear is famous for its sword-stopping capabilities, so that's, that's useful. Bridget Nielsen, I seem to recall, wore one in the 1985 film, so you know, maybe they can use the same one. Yes, m London, rumour has it, Bridget Nielsen buys hers there. Uh, yeah, so we'll keep an eye on that one, see if it mm. actually gets before uh, cameras this time. And yes, I was right that Netflix have indeed signed a deal with Cinemark, Cinemark in the States, and they will be showing Army of the Dead, Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead, which is out on Netflix May 21st. And this is only, of course, for US listeners, uh, but it's going to be playing in Cinemark from May 14th, and it's going to be playing at 600 theatres in total around the country in the uh, in the states before it hits netflix i don't know whether this could be playing over here or not but mm. i think this is an interesting breakthrough i would say mm. and one worth keeping an eye on yeah netflix have been making some some you know dipping some toes in these waters obviously with their prestige titles like the irishman and roma uh, they had cinema releases for those uh, they actually bought didn't they a sort of historic new york cinema um somewhere near park avenue uh, if I recall correctly, a couple of years ago, so they they have you know they have sort of softened on having a cinema presence. I think they're quite happy to have a cinema presence because I think it helps them to attract the sort of prestige filmmakers that they're going for and that they're clearly investing in. I I don't know though how this all plays out, and it's it's one of these changes that's coming at a very turbulent time for cinemas. So mm. whether this is ultimately a good or a bad thing for cinema remains to be seen, but it's certainly a good thing for us as film fans and for filmmakers that even if they make something for Netflix, there's a good chance it will be seen on the big screen as well. We lost a couple of notable actors, very, very sadly, in the past week. Uh, we lost Frank McRae. Frank McRae, who you will know as the angry, shouty police chief in Last Action Hero, but for me, he's perhaps best known as Sharky, Bond's mate from License to Kill, compliments of Sharky, who uh, does not end up well, sadly. Uh, He passed away at the age of 80. Good old innings, uh, but very, very sad to hear by Frank McRae. And of course, the great Oscar-winning Olympia Dukakis also passed away at the age of 89. 
What a woman. I mean, she she was astonishing. If you haven't seen her in Steel Magnolias, she steals the show. Uh, different kind of steel, but it's a pun all the same. Um, she's also incredible, incredible in Moonstruck. You've got to see her in that if you haven't already. She was just one of these, you know, absolute nailed on 27%. Or everything she was in was better for her presence. And especially in sort of things like Tales of the City, where she had a b- bigger role, she she edited, edited live, basically. She was an incredible, mm. incredible talent. Definitely a Moonstruck. It's one of my favorite films. And I maintain like Sharon Nick Cage made that a love story, but it's the supporting cast in that film that makes it such an enduring film and such a like a film about family and, and so much else. And it's because of Rose Castorini and John Mahoney <laughs> and Vincent Gardini. I like, oh I'm gonna I'm gonna need oh. a minute before I watch it again, I think. But but oh, she yeah. she is part of the reason why that film is so, so great. She's amazing. And her, her speeches against the advisability of loving your husband are just amazing. <gasps> Incredible. <laughs> I haven't seen that film in so long. I need to, I need to rewatch it's it. It's so good. I think it's Definitely. on Netflix or it certainly was recently. So okay. it's, it's easily accessible right now. Excellent stuff. Uh, so yes, the great Olympia Dukakis who passed away this week at the age of 89. And time now for our second guest this week, our second interview. And uh, last year, we had Emily Mortimer on, the wonderful Emily Mortimer, and she was talking about her role in the very brilliant, very, very scary horror film, Relic. And uh, I said, hey, what are you doing next, Emily? And she said, well, I'm doing this BBC TV show called The Pursuit of Love. And I was like, well, you know, this isn't obviously the pilot TV podcast, but now and again, <laughs> we can extend our purview to take in TV shows. So why don't you come back and talk about that when it's out? And lo and behold... It is, and she did. The first of the three-part series airs this Sunday. It is going to be replacing Line of Duty in the schedules. It is not Line of Duty, (laughs) I should point it out. It is the antithesis of Line of Duty. It is a period comedy drama starring Lily James and Emily Beecham and Dominic West and uh, Andrew Scott and it is rather wonderful and I think announces the, uh, Emily Mortimer as a, a director of real note and real promise and someone to keep an eye on and so I was delighted when she jumped onto Zoom, yes the dread Zoom, with me the other day from her New York home to have a chat about becoming a director after all those years of being directed. Here we go. Emily Mortimer, do please enjoy. We're delighted to be joined once again, returning triumphantly to the Empire Podcast by the writer and director of The Pursuit of Love, Emily Mortimer. How are you? I'm good. Happy to be here. Happy to have you here uh, as well. And the last time you were on, you were talking about Relic. And I don't know if you remember that, but you were moving all up and down your your townhouse because I think your kids were in one room and there was was noise (laughs) in another room. And it's, it's good to see that you found... A little hidey a hole. Spot. Yeah. I found a spot. It's my husband's um sort of office. And I uh I've I have one too. I have a tiny little cupboard at the top, but there's no internet. So I've pushed him out and I've closed the door and I'm um I'm hopefully not going to be attacked by children or dogs or anyone else. <laughs> or all sorts. Uh but yeah. How are you feeling this week? Because this is the the build up now, the show is about to to be launched upon an unsuspecting great British public uh on Sunday. Uh, who and it's it, it I don't know because you don't live in this country anymore, Emily, so I don't know if you're aware of just how big the mania was for Line of Duty. And now here comes the pursuit of love, which is fantastic, but has no bent coppers, no gunfire, <laughs> and uh, no Northern Irishisms. So, you know, it's a lot of pressure in this one. 
Oh man. Oh, tell me about it. I, I, yeah, I'm, all I can say is I'm quite glad I'm in Brooklyn and not there. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's very, it's very weird. I've never had this experience, um, you know, before because I've never done this before. So as an actor, mm. it's kind of, you know, it's, it's not, entirely your fault if the thing sucks but um <laughs> if this sucks it is entirely my fault i mean i could blame like the continuity lady or uh <laughs> i could try to blame someone throw the bbc under the bus they didn't give me the budget i wanted <laughs> exactly. the cast i mean look at the cast they gave me <laughs> lily james dominic west who are these people i know i know <laughs> it's very hard to find someone else to blame so that that's what i'm grappling with this week <laughs> well the good news is uh the good news is it's a fantastic show and uh and it, it does you. not suck that's the official <laughs> that's the official empire line on that one and that whenever we last spoke you were in the middle of of editing it editing it editing it. Why can I not say that that word? It's really simple. Uh, you're in the middle of post production, shall we say? Yes. And, yeah. uh, and you're right. This is this is your first time, not your first time writing, but your first time directing uh, as well. And a, how did that happen? And b, how did you how did you find it? It happened sort of by mistake. Um, all of it kind of happened by mistake. I, <laughs> but 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 looking back on it, there was some kind of feeling of destiny about the whole thing. But, you know, I, I was approached and asked if I would be interested in writing the pilot episode of Pursuit of Love um, by the producers, because I think they'd like Doll and M and thought that I might be somebody that would be useful to sort of explore female friendship and, um, and, and all that. And I had loved the book and I had thought, okay, I'll give this a go. I mean, I, I'd gone back to the book thinking, does the world really need another kind of period drama about posh people and then I'd reread the book knowing I had loved it and thought yeah the world really needs this book I feel like I really need this book right now it feels very alive and exciting and radical in a way that the, mm. the, the way that Nancy writes about kind of everything to do with what it is to be a woman at that time still feels to me madly relevant at this our time mm -hmm. and there's a kind of a a, 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 a wickedness and a lack of earnestness, um, but also a kind of real emotional integrity to the book that feels very fresh um, mm. and a fearlessness to, to her writing that also feels very fresh. So I felt like, um, yeah, okay, I'll go back. I'll do that. I will try and adapt this book because I have always loved it. And it feels like maybe the world does need something like this right now. So I did that bit and I wasn't going to direct it at all, but it was funny as I was writing it, I realized that I was kind of writing it as if I was directing. I was writing it in quite a sort of bossy way about like where the camera should be. And, <laughs> um, you know, uh, uh, the look and tone of it. And also kind of, I was putting music in there as well. Oh, like, I, was I, was really being, okay. I was being quite controlling about the way that I was writing it. So, um, which was going to make it quite hard for anyone to come in and, and direct it. That wasn't me, I suppose, but I wasn't even thinking that. And then it wasn't, until the business of coming to to find a director happened that that Lily was the one that said, I think Emily should do it. And and my natural impulse it would be and kind of was to sort of go, oh, my goodness, that's a ridiculous idea. I can possibly do it. What are you talking about? Um, but I kind of fought myself and, and, and didn't let myself say that as much as I would normally do. And I kind of listened to it and then because Lily had said it everyone else listened to it and um and then I thought 
maybe I could and maybe I should and maybe I actually always wanted to direct this all along um, mm. and I had always wanted to direct anyway you know I, I had it in my mind that I was going to do that one day but um but I didn't know it was going to be this and then and then that's how it happened and so it was Lily really that got me the gig and and I to her I shall always be grateful because obviously you hadn't directed Doll and M and, uh, and, and, and Dolly has directed in the last couple of years as well. Good posture. Uh, so as you say, it's something that you always thought you were going to do, but was there a period where you look, was there a period when it looked like you might've directed a couple of episodes of Doll and M or, you know, were you looking at directing a short, something like that to ease yourself into it? Well, I, I not, not with Dolan M because we had an incredible director for the both series seasons, Azazel Jacobs, who, um, who did French exit recently, um, uh, along with a lot of other brilliant, um, movies, but, um, so he was always our director on Dolan M, um, and, but I had been writing a film script of, from, uh, of another story, um, an adaptation of a Rebecca West, uh, novella called the return of the soldier, and I had been once I'd been I had it in mind that I was going to try to direct that, that that was going to be the first thing that and it was a very low budget indie movie mm. um, set in 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 Virginia. Uh, I had re replanted the, the 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 novel from the it was it set in the in, in the First World War in, in in England and I was going to transplant it to America in the modern day. Um, so I was definitely working my way towards that. And I really, and I had been inspired by Dolly's experience on good posture. And I, I definitely, it was something that I, I was seriously thinking about, but I was never, I mean, I was, I, I had never thought that this was something, I mean, I just thought nobody would give me this up. I mean, they, they would be mad to kind of trust me with something like this. And, um, and it just didn't really occur to me that that would be an option. I just felt like the the BBC and Amazon would never go for, never go for it, and um, and they did. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, talk me through your first day on set as a, as a director. It was God. It was it was that day when Lily. I don't know whether you know you remember, but there's a moment at the very beginning of the show where Lily kisses the windowsill, <laughs> yes, window yes. pane, yeah. and I. It was just really exciting. I, you know, and she knew we obviously we'd planned it and, and, and COVID had COVID had kind of been kind to us in a way because we, we, we'd shut down about three weeks before we were meant to start shooting the first time. And then there'd been this kind of two month hiatus. Yeah. And then we had another six weeks of prep before when we come back from the hiatus, which was kind of an added three weeks bonus because everything had changed by then and you had to kind of completely re rework the approach to shooting a lot of things because of COVID. So there was an extra and 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 then the two months between I had done so much thinking. I had done so many storyboards. I'd spoken to Clint Mansell, the composer. I'd had mm. I'd had I was doing the playlist. I was I really had just sort of get, get extra time and and then this six weeks or three extra weeks of prep because of COVID. And so by the time it came for that moment for, uh, and, and, and Lily to, to, to snog the window pane, it, <laughs> it, there had been so much thought and so much planning gone into every single beat of, of what was going to happen, especially that first week, that it didn't feel um, as scary as I would have thought. And... 
then Lily did that and she did it in such like the first take. It was just like so bold and so out there and so wild and kind of free and mad. And mm. I was just like, oh, my God, she's perfect. And <laughs> I don't really have to worry. Like this is just I've, I've, I've you know, all I've done is 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 sort of set it all up and make get it all together. Mm. But that uh, I just have to kind of enjoy this now because mm. um it's going to be okay. So there was just something about the way that she snogged that window pane that um, <laughs> made it all feel like, okay, we're all right. <laughs> she she attacked the window pane. That's yeah, what. she did. <laughs> she, that's interesting. And and I I I often ask this of uh, of first time directors as well, especially actors turned directors. You know, you've worked with some amazing people over the years. I don't know if you can see, but I'm wearing the T-shirt right now with Martin Scorsese's name on it. Um, no. <laughs> in the style of Marvel Studios, his, his bet noir. And, That's um, hilarious. And, that, um, oh, hang on. I have to, there is a dog here now. Oh my I, have God. To pick, I have to pick the dog up. I'm really sorry. That's all right. Oh, my God. Hello. Oh. <laughs> but she has, she's, she's needy. She wants What's her to, name? Etta. Etta. She's Etta, yeah. Anyway, carry on. So, no, yeah, no, it's sorry. fine. I am, I am such a dog person. Uh, yeah, <laughs> such a dog person. Oh, my God. She's so cute. She's our new puppy. And we're, like everyone else in the world, we've got a puppy in COVID. Oh, um, and how old she's is she? Just, she's three months old. Oh, my she's God. She's really bloody adorable. But Hello, Etta. She just, all, she just wants, all she wants to do is cuddle. Okay, I'm going to put her there. That's so right. You're a there King you Charles Spaniel, aren't you? Yes, look at that. Oh, look at that. <laughs> anyway, Adorable. carry on, carry on. That's the dog my wife wants more than anything, by the way. Um, oh my God, I yeah. really recommend them. They're so sweet and loving. All they want to do is snuggle. <laughs> From your words to our landlord's ears. <laughs> I might play them this bit and see. Emily Mortimer says we can get a dog. It doesn't matter what our lease says, we can we can get the dog. Yeah, uh, but yes, yeah, so I was going to say, that you, you've worked with some incredible directors over the years, obviously. And, uh, you know, when you're when you're directing something, do you channel any of them, even consciously or subconsciously? You know, because obviously you want to be the director that you will have always wanted to have, to have had. Yeah, I, I mean, God, I, I, I wouldn't, I mean, be so presumptuous as to say that I'm channeling Martin Scorsese. Um, but I do remember things. I do. I was always very interested in how a good director gets a good performance or, 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 or things to work right um, mm. for them on a set. And I always found that the, 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 the directors that were the most successful ones and Martin Scorsese being the kind of primo example, I guess, as uh, um, not just, you know, in the eyes of the world, but in terms of the experience of being in one of his movies, um, my experience in being his films was, was definitely with the, definitely the best um, kind of, acting experiences I've had because mm. he he creates a world and he communicates this world and you understand that there's a universe that he's inside his head and somehow he manages to communicate that to you in a way that isn't prescriptive or um mm. uh kind of it doesn't it it it's 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 you just understand the world that you're in. And, and, and then you, once you've understood that you can kind of do anything you, you're, he trusts you then to, 
give a performance and maybe he'll guide it a little bit but it's not there's nothing prescriptive about what what you're being asked to do but all your expected to do is 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 understand the world that you're in and and i felt that that was um uh i felt that that was really my only main job was just to kind of communicate not just to the actors but to the set designer and the costume designer and the makeup designer and um mm. the dp and everybody that the, the the universe that i was trying to create the world that I was that we were all in mm. and and once everybody's understood what world you're in then everybody can do their thing and you've got these incredibly talented people together who you know all you have to do like with Lily kissing the window pane but that was just that that everybody was doing their version of that to my mind every yeah. member of the crew and every actor was doing their own version of of what Lily was doing in that moment but but knowing the kind of the universe, the world of this show, and and hopefully anyway, that was that was my aim. And I felt like I felt like the great directors do really trust the people that they've 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 brought together, um, and 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 understand that their their only real job is 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 to is to communicate the world that we're that that we were all in. One of the uh, one of the the interesting things about this, of course, you know, is you, you're in it, and you know, and uh, what was that like? What was what was directing Emily Mortimer like? Because I, terrible. I, I yeah, I, I, diva <laughs> is what is the I, sense I'm getting. I hated it. Oh my god, <laughs> Emily Mortimer was a nightmare. Yeah, Emily Mortimer. No, I tried to fire Emily Mortimer about four times before we started filming, because I was really like, I just was like, I can't possibly. First of all, it's just going to be mortifying, like running around in a wig, sort of looking at the monitor, you know, telling people what to do. And second of all, I haven't had time to prepare for this part. And third of all, I just can't do it. I don't know how to do it and I don't want to do it. And I've got too much else to do. Anyway, they wouldn't let me they wouldn't let me fire myself. I think that um, I was told that <laughs> I was told that it was part of my contract that I was in it. Um, so. Uh, I I will never do that again is all I can say. I did not enjoy <laughs> being in something I was directing. That is not like it's like the, you can't do it. It's like you know yeah. rubbing, patting yeah. your head while rubbing your tummy. Yeah. It's impossible. It 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 was more challenging than waitressing, which is I think the work the the the, the job that I've I found most challenging in my whole life. So my brain does not I don't I can't I I couldn't handle uh, that. I couldn't handle it at all, and I felt very kind of like I didn't show up either for my actors or for the, my crew. Like I was neither a director nor an actor in those moments. I was just a deer stuck in the headlights, and I'm also so neurotic and so shy about watching myself yeah. that I couldn't. I refused to watch the playback. So I poor Emily Beecham, who was mainly the person I was in my scenes with. I was I was not even. I was certainly not watching her as she was giving her performance because I was worrying about my performance. And then I wouldn't watch the playback because I was too, <laughs> I was too full of anguish to, to watch them on. Luckily, she was brilliant as she always is. But I really felt um, I let, I let 
everybody, including myself, down oh in my those God. moments. Well, uh, I'm, I'm glad I, I brought this traumatic experience back to life for you. Oh yeah, my God, <laughs> it was really, it was really traumatic. But but anyway, it's going to be. Um, it's it, it ended up fine. Luckily, as well, thanks to the brilliance of Gareth Scales again, I um my performance was kind of say salvaged, and uh, as I said, luckily also for everybody, um, Emily Beecham is is a sensational actress who didn't who turns out didn't need me there either as a scene partner or a director <laughs> during her scenes <laughs> unbelievable um and so what's next now have you got the bug the directing bug are you going to be back behind the camera soon yes yeah, so i want to do a film i mean i if i if i don't know it feels almost like bad luck saying this before this thing comes out because i might be ch- chased out of town and told to never um never darken a, an edit room again or whatever um so i don't know but if 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 anyone will have me back i'd love to um i'd love to try it again i i'd like to, i want to make a film a proper um, a feature film next. Even the film you were a, working on before for this. Well, one. maybe not that one. Oh, okay. I don't know. I've got one I want to do about Russia because um, I, I spent a lot of time in Russia and I think it's a much underexplored culture and place. And um, uh, so that would be my next thing. But I, I, I don't know. It's a very unfashionable time to make movies. So um, but I don't I know. That's, Get back out there. That's that. That's yeah. what I'm saying. You know, there's this time to make movies. And uh, I believe you're, you're. Are you still fluent in Russian? I am still, uh, um, I'm still not fluent in Russian at all. I can still speak Russian. <laughs> I just have to brush up. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, what's what's action in Russian? Oh my god! Um, oh, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> well, this gives you time to find out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think I, d- I definitely need to. I've, I've never been on a film set in Russia, so I would not. I don't know. That means like, let's go. Maybe that's action. I don't know. All right. Let's, let's, let's go with that. And next time you're back, we'll we'll hopefully talk about your, your experience in Russia, directing in Russian, perhaps. Who knows? Uh, Emily Mortimer, it's been a pleasure as always. Thank you so much indeed. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And say uh, goodbye to Etta if she's still knocking Etta's around. She's, she's, she's as fast asleep, but I yeah, will, I, I'll, I'll send her your regards. I tend to have that effect on interviewees. So <laughs> it's <laughs> totally fine. Thank you very much. Indeed. Cheers. Okay, so that was Emily Mortimer. And you can see The Pursuit of Love on BBC One on Sunday at 9pm. Okay, so let's talk about the the films that are going to be out this week for your viewing pleasure on your Sofaplex before we can actually go to the proper Cineplex. And we should start with, well, I don't know if we should start, but we are going to start with Mortal Kombat. (laughs) Why not? Why the hell not? We're going to start with Mortal Kombat. Jimbo, what do you make of, uh, (laughs) what can you make of Mortal Kombat? Well, you may remember 26 years ago when Paul W.S. Anderson made the first Mortal Kombat movie and Christopher Lambert shot onto our screens with a wig of flowing white locks. Uh, You probably thought that Mortal Kombat had had its due, but no, it has come back. There's been a TV series, there's been Mortal Kombat Annihilation, there have been countless games, and now we have another film version. This one's directed by uh, Simon McCoy. And this one begins with a prologue, which I have to say really impressed me. So this one has Joe Taslim, who you may remember from Warrior, which is on Sky and uh, Cinemax in the States, and Hiroyuki Sanada from... Uh, and The Raid. Also from The Raid. Uh, and Hiroyuki Sanada, who you remember from Last Samurai and things like Westworld. Uh, two actors who I really love, two great martial artists, and there's a fantastic sort of prologue fight between these two, set in feudal Japan, which I thought really bode well for this film. Mm. Mm. 
unfortunately, it's literally the best thing about this film, and it all goes horribly downhill from there. So they've done two slightly strange things with this one. They have, on the one hand, gone for slavish fan service with references all the way through this. But on the other hand, they've neglected to make the star of this film a sort of a known Mortal Kombat character. And instead, you've got Lewis Tan playing Cole Young, who's this kind of washed-up MMA fighter who finds out that his perfectly rendered birthmark of a dragon means that he is uniquely qualified to take place in Mortal Kombat, an age-old uh, tournament which pits Earthrealm fighters against Outworld fighters for the fate of who the fuck cares. Now, <laughs> so you get characters from the games. You've got Sonya Blade in there. You've got Jax. You've got Kano. Goro's in there. All the sort of fan favorite stuff. But it is, unfortunately, to my mind at least, an incoherent mess. Like it's got, mm. shall we say, variable acting to the point where it almost looks like you're watching YouTube cosplay. Um, the fight sequences are <laughs> mixed. Some of them are actually quite good. The prologue one in particular. Some of them I think are quite weak. But the plot doesn't make a great deal of sense. It has no real narrative consistency throughout it. And it just feels like they've thrown a lot of budget and effects at something which could have done with something simple like a script. Um, I think the <laughs> one thing that worked for me in this is Josh Lawson, uh, Australian actor who plays Kano in this, does all of the heavy lifting in terms of sheer fun. Like he has yeah. all of the great lines. He's having a whale of a time. Sadly, he is literally the only one, it seems. Like the main guy, <laughs> you know, unfortunately for Lewis Town, his character is so dull and so vanilla and so tedious that anytime he's on screen, you just kind of want to be anywhere else. And it just it descends into this kind of mash of weird fights between various characters, like without going into too many plot point issues like it builds up towards a any? tournament that doesn't actually happen and yeah. it seems to be all in service of setting up mortal Kombat 2 which frankly i'd be su surprised if we ever see so uh, amon gave this one three stars and i can only assume someone had uppercut him into some kind of spiked pit as is the way with this game uh because i did not have a good time with this at all and frankly i'm quite a fan of this stuff so make of that what yeah. you will fatality fatality and as someone who doesn't particularly know the characters, I'm I'm aware of the game. I don't know or care about anybody's backstory or, you mm. know, details. The the way the film sort of stops every five minutes to sort of like give you a beauty shot of some recently introduced <laughs> character, so everybody could go, "Oh my god, it's my favorite!" You know, <laughs> Hat Man, and and I'm just sitting there going, "Hat Man, Hat Man is great." Why Love has everything man. stopped? And why are we just staring at this dude with a hat? Oh my god! So um, so if you're not a fan of the game, it's even worse. But but you know that, yeah. that's fine. It's not made for non-fans. I get that. But even then, yes, the the action is variable and the plodding is not, and it has a huge bad case of wannabe franchise itis mm. um so it just like there's so much stuff here that is just in service of you know whoa what, what about that we've got to save some for the sequel no you don't you don't have to save stuff for the sequel because you're not good enough to do that so stop just get it right now get it right yeah. now get it and right then, this time yeah and i worry about the sequel yeah exactly yeah, I think I, I agree. It just as a, as a standalone action film, this fails on so many levels. Like it just relies so transparently and heavily on the source material. Like I watched it with my partner, who's who's big on Mortal Kombat, and I could only gauge what was going on by how much he sort of jumped on his feet when there was a kind of a catchphrase or someone showed up when Hatman showed up, he was beside himself. So I could, I could only gauge that from, from that. I, I, I did. I really enjoyed the opening sequence. I love Joe yeah. Taslim. I loved him in the raid. I love watching him fight. I think he's, he's yeah. very skilled. Um, I think Cole, you know, he's a skilled 
leading man, but there's no spark, no sass. I like mm. a little bit of sass yeah. mm-hmm. in my leading man. And uh, that was just completely void. Um, and that was like a, the, the film's biggest disservice, I think, for me. Yeah, I feel like yeah. if you're going to do something stupid, lean into the fun properly. Mm-hmm. Like Other than Josh Lawson, like no one is having fun here. No. And I just feel like they really could have done, you know, fucking rolling Christopher Lambert in a wig. Just do something. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Although I will say, and Amon mentions this in the interview, there is a particularly nice musical cue towards the end of this, which is used very effectively. And I will say that that was that was a nice moment. If you oh, are okay. a fan of the games and indeed the earlier films, well worth your twenty quid. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And uh, hang on, fifteen ninety nine. I think. Oh, on sorry, the sorry, yeah, a bargain. Um, a bargain at twice the price. <laughs> uh, I would add, however, that this is a fifteen by the BBFC. Yes. Um, it is shockingly gory. And I know that nowadays they, they tend to look more favorably on what they call fantastical violence. But this is like quite anatomical, close up, mm. super violent shit happening. Mm. And it's really, yeah, I was I, I was genuinely surprised that this was a 15. The, with the bit with the arms and the bit with the head and the bit with the, you know, middle, I was. And the hat. <laughs> I was not expecting <laughs> that. The, the shoulders, yeah. the knees, and the toes. <laughs> it, was, it was a lot. It was a oh, lot. Fatalities all yeah. over the place. I mean, yes. Well, it looks like we've finished him, the <laughs> film. That's all I know about Mortal Kombat. I've, I've literally played it three times. I'm, I'm shit at anything that's not FIFA. And I'm increasingly shit at that. So there you go. Anyway, <laughs> three stars for Mortal Kombat. I would argue those three stars should be awarded for Josh Lawson's performance alone because yes. he is doing some sort of weird, crazy hybrid of Brian Brown um, and Randy Quaid, as he is now. And... <laughs> <laughs> and he's just the best thing in the movie by is, a yeah. country mile. Three stars in from Mortal Kombat. As you can tell, we were all on the same page. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, yeah. we have uh, Cowboys. Cowboys, Hell's Bells, tell us about this. This is Steve Sand. Steve Sand. Wow, Steve I Sand miss in that a leading dude. Role. I miss I him so Love much. It. I just want to hug him. Yeah, this is um, this this leans heavily on Steve Zahn's Steve Zahnness, which I think is a, is a good choice. It's a, a debutant, I believe, writer director called Anna Kerrigan, and uh, a really I thought really good story. So um, we open on some of the most stunning scenery I have ever seen in my life, and uh, it appears to be a father and son. So Steve Zahn's character Troy and and Joe, played by Sasha Knight, out for a walk in the wilderness, and then we meet Jillian uh, Bell's Sally, who's uh, Joe's mother, and we realise that it might not be quite that simple. That um, that Troy has a history of perhaps some mel- mental illness. That he has some trouble, had some trouble with the law. That the, their relationship is not steady, and that he may have taken Joe without her permission. And we might be looking at one of those sort of fugitive stories. Now, the truth ends up being a little bit more complicated than that in ways that I almost don't want to discuss too much. It's one of those films where there's a lot of different layers being kind of peeled back. And what looks like a really predictable, oft-told sort of Western story actually ends up being a lot more nuanced, a lot more sensitive, and a lot more modern than that. And I think it's all the better for it. So I kind of don't want to say anything more about the plot. What I will say is um, I thought Steve Zahn was fantastic. I thought Gillian Bell was fantastic mm. in a serious role, which she doesn't get to do very often. Mm. She has quite a lot of scenes where she's you know, coordinating with um, Anne Dowd's police officer who's leading the search for these guys. But it's just... it's, it's it's really nicely done. It's it's kind of a delicate little family tale about maybe how our expectations and our, our impressions of people can be wrong at first glance. So mm. yeah, I liked it. 
Yeah, me too. And I, I like that we're not getting into the plot because I think what it does structurally is really mm-hmm. considered and sweet and makes you think. And I like that it's just handled with such empathy. Nobody really comes off the bad guy in this. I think it's beautiful. There's been comparisons to Deborah Granick's um, Leaf yeah. and Trace, which yeah. I totally see. Um, beautiful, beautiful film. Yeah. Really worth a look. Sounds like we're very much in the three-star camp in this one. At least a three for me. Yeah, I'd like to go four. Yeah. At least a three, maybe. So, okay, let's, let's see what we sometimes do. Just take a star of the Mortal Kombat review, stick it onto this one. <laughs> Four stars then for Cowboys. Yeah, we won't tell anyone. It's fine. It's totally fine. It's totally <laughs> fine. This is okay. This is how we do things. Uh, and the last film this week that we're going to delve into in some detail, there is a film out on Shudder called Fried Barry. We've given that three stars. Um, I haven't had a time to see it myself so we're going to be reviewing it on next week's show but it is out this week for horror fans uh on shutter so that's fried barry but the last film we'll be delving into in some depth because i've got to run it's my fault i've got to run to do an interview now with uh, david schwimmer and nick mohammed uh once again encroaching on pilot tv's territory uh for intelligence i know well, what can you do you might as well you should start interviewing like carrie grant and people like that <laughs> <laughs> but the last film we're going to delve into is Things Heard and Seen, which is on Netflix. It is on Netflix right now, and it stars Amanda Seyfried. Beth. Yes. Things Heard and Seen, which I feel might as well just be called People, Places and Things. It's just a, <laughs> just a, it's a supernatural sort of drama. Amanda Seyfried plays um, a married woman who moves out to um, the countryside, the New York countryside with her husband, who's played by James Norton, um, in support of his career. They bring their daughter with them, young daughter. Um, and as the marriage becomes increasingly more turbulent, he's he's a bit of a one, I think is the best way to describe James <laughs> Norton. There's a bit of, bit of a one. And um, as he's sort of, you know, spreading his seed fluids again and um, just kind of enjoying the sense of entitlement in, in his Webb. new job. <laughs> Listen, we're doing shitting in buckets, we're doing spreading the seed. And um, <laughs> he's just being a bit of a scallywag. And as, as that manifests, uh, Sophie's character starts to feel a supernatural presence that's sort of showing up in radios and nightlights and whatnot. It's set in the 80s, there's not any technology. Um, And she (laughs) develops a connection with this ghost, a kind of benign ghost. Um, And then it kind of sprawls into this mystery supernatural thing, which is really Mm. about the patriarchy in academia. And it's interesting because I went in onto Netflix to watch this and I saw that Josephine Decker's Shirley's just been added onto there. And I was like, oh, that's a that's a film that handles that really well. And then I watched this film. And I think you should watch Shirley. <laughs> it's just- Shirley, you can't be serious. <laughs> there he is. Um, I serious and don't call me Shirley. Don't call me Shirley. It had some interesting points to make on the picture mm. in academia. It was nice seeing James Norton being a bit of a wrong Uh I mm. think, I mean, let's be honest, he's probably heading for for 007 hood. So he's going to be a... You I think- just see... I think, I think he's got... I think he's lining up for it. I think he is literally playing a secret. As in he's going to pay to see it or is he going to be the new 007? <laughs> well, considering, I think he's playing a, a secret agent in his next film. I think his, like, his agents are doing everything they can to kind of get him in the queue for that. But I, I just always see him as quite straight shooting a noble and it was quite enjoyable to see him being quite villainous. But the script mm-hmm. let me down. That was That was it really. I wanted a bit more snap and I wanted it to be more vicious and venomous. 
uh, you know, they really don't like each other in this film and, and it just mm. felt quite sedated and underwhelming, um, which was mm. a shame. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. There's some beautiful um, imagery. They've, they've sort of taken particular inspiration from the work of the artist that he's studying and, and the Hudson Valley School and all that, uh, all that kind of thing. And that was, that was kind of interesting, gave it a particular look. But um, but yeah, the, the script was was all over the place, and it was long. I thought so. Mm. You know, creepy moments and some like effective scares, I guess, if that's your bag. But mostly, you're just watching, you know, some uh, her be depressed and him be just bad at stuff. So yeah, <laughs> and like he's quite fun being bad at stuff in the Nevers. By the way, that's coming up, and he plays yeah. a complete, you know, louche in that. So so maybe this may be something that he's delving into in a, in a fun way, but not particularly fun here. So this is directed by uh, Shari Springer-Berman and Robert Puccini, who are a directing duo. They they did um, American Splendor and The Nanny Diaries. Mm-hmm. So not really, a, you, you can't really pin them down. This is, this is uh, <laughs> yeah. something yeah. new again for them, but they're kind of sort of low-key dramas, which I guess they've just channeled that energy into this mm-hmm. alleged melodrama and it's just, it's just not quite worked, which is a shame. Yeah. Yeah, sadly not a case of American Splendor for this one. Sounds like we're in the two-star camp in this one. Two stars. Two stars then for things heard and seen. And that is it for this week's mm. Empire Podcast. Wow. Folks, that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Oh, my word. Uh, I'm off to interview Ross from Friends. Very, very exciting. Ooh. I'm sure he, he will like nothing but incessant questions about that. Just ask about the monkey. He loves questions about the monkey. Absolute nonsense. You're just going to ask Nick Muhammad about Ted Lasso. I am going to. I have a question. I have a question lined up, and I'm probably going to bottle it or fuck it up in the asking of it. But I have a question lined up, which is long lines of, "Hey guys, obviously you're in Intelligence season two as well, but uh, one of you is involved in one of the greatest sitcoms of all time, and I believe." (laughs) I believe recently you were involved in some additional filming for that. Is that correct? And then everyone's going to think I'm going to be setting up the fact that David Schwimmer was doing the Friends reunion recently. And then we're going to go, Nick, of course I'm talking about Ted Lasso. How is season two coming along? And then they'll laugh. They'll go, ha, 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 ha. And then Ross will go, my sandwich. And then he'll go, pivot. Pay we were out. on a doing, break. My, my Ross impression is some sort of Broadway superstar. Yeah. Anyway. So that's my question. And I've got the Zoom reminder saying I've got to go and do the interview yeah, yeah, now. So do, this do. is it for the Empire podcast. I'm off to interview Ross from Friends and Nate from Ted Lasso about their new show, Intelligence, which is out in June. I don't know why am I doing this? But anyway, anyway, join us next week for more film-related fun where we'll be joined by not Ross from Friends, but instead, as promised this week, but it didn't quite happen, Dominic Monaghan and Billy Boyd, who will be talking about their new podcast, which was announced this week. They'll be doing a podcast about their experiences making Lord of the Rings. We'll also be joined by Alexandra Aja, who will be telling us about his excellent new movie, Oxygen. So there you go. Get on it, folks. Get on it next week. But until then, until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from my three colleagues of such lethal cunning squad cast names, Beth. <laughs> Do you know I got that stressed out? I was late on because I was like, I've got to think of something, and then I just gave up. I just gave up. You really pushed the like, boat out there. That's that's impressive mm. work. Did you <sighs> did you see the tweet this week that the existence of Macbeth implies the existence of Mac Joe, Mac Meg, and Mac Amy? Oh well, that's what I should have done. Thank you. Next time. That's very good. That's a good joke. Mm-hmm. That's a good joke. It's goodbye from Shao Kant. 
That's a sent up for Mortal Kombat 2, which is never going to happen. And it's goodbye from I prefer Portal Kombat. We should talk about Portal Kombat, Helen. Write That's that down. That's a great idea. We should do that. Write that down. Helen O'Hara. Yeah. Toodaloo. Excellent. Excellent stuff. And it's goodbye from me. Play Misty for me. Now, I went back and forth on this, but whether I should dedicate this week's podcast to my sister's beloved Border Collie who passed away last week. Mm. And I thought, well, you know, Misty didn't really listen to the podcast, or if she did, she didn't give me any indication that she did. But uh, I love that dog, so I want to dedicate this podcast to her. So, sleep well, Misty Chops. Sleep well. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye.